Good morning, friends. We are gathered here today to discuss dating. But before we get started, this live stream may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. And as always, cease listening until you are able to listen again. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Lori and Jessica. Would you like to say good morning? Good morning. Morning. And introduce yourselves. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Um, I'm Laurie. I am a licensed um, therapist and I have not drank enough coffee yet. So words are hard. Um, <laughs> you're a conservative Mennonite and um, have been out of the Mennonites now for probably half of my life. So, Oh, that sounds fun. What about you, Jessica? Hey, I'm Jess. I grew up conservative Mennonite as well, and I've been out for about 10 years. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, we were having a conversation about dating. Would y'all both like to tell me what your dating was like in your communities? <laughs> I, I want to know how the Mennonites date. <laughs> This, I, that's why y'all here. The boys didn't like me, so that's that's the truth. That's about the truth. Um, I didn't really date when I was Mennonite. Um, I did have a boyfriend when I was in high school who was from another Mennonite community, um, and I was more liberal than them than his. So we had to sneak around and. I wouldn't call it dating because we weren't, a, we didn't date. We just wrote letters back and forth through his sister <laughs> and Wait. stared at each other from across the room. If we got lucky enough to the same space, which was rare because he also lived in another state. Wow. Wait, so, <laughs> I have to ask this. Is it like, was it because of your uh, disability that the boys didn't like you or? Oh. Probably my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that mouth, though, Lori. Just watch it. It's glorious. Okay. I just was never a good... I don't think I was ever just like the Mennonite girl that people wanted. Um, I don't know. I was also a bigger girl, as a, even as a teenager. And those boys did not like that. So it could have been anything. I, I really don't know, but... I wasn't, and then I was um, right at right after high school. We moved from that Mennonite community to a different Mennonite community, and it wasn't really any different there. So, huh. well, that's <laughs> interesting. Always interesting. So, how did the youth date? Like, what were they allowed to do within the church's rules? Though, so, if you were to have dated. Yeah, from what I know, I don't know if they were aged, like if they had to be a certain age, but um, I definitely know that the boy's parent, the boy was expected to ask the girl's father if he could date his daughter. Um, but I really don't know. Like there were, I mean, I remember hearing like, oh, make sure you have a Bible between you or, you know, I, I 
it might have been family to family, but we I don't remember much, hearing much about how we were allowed to date. Okay. I mean, the Bible between you, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I didn't tell you here what I have to say about dating, but I digress. It's uh, let's let's hear what Jess experienced. So I never dated in the church. Um, I wasn't interested in dating boys in the church, but I had friends that did. And so typically if you were interested in dating, we didn't really use that word because that was a bad worldly word. So we would call it courtship. Um, but if you were interested in that, the boy had to first ask permission from the father and then they had to go together and meet with leadership in the church and get approval from somebody in the church. And once it was all approved and good, then you could start courting, which was kind of just like what you would do with friends on a Sunday afternoon kind of thing. Um, like group dates? Yeah, it was kind of like, it wasn't even... I wouldn't have even called it dating. I would just call it like hanging out with friends and talking. There was never really a time where like you would be alone together <laughs> unless you <laughs> snuck off and did something you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, what? <laughs> like. Mm -hmm. you... Mostly when couples got married, they honestly didn't know each other that well. That's so sad. You really, truly didn't. Like, that was what blew my mind and to me felt so scary is you're marrying a man you don't really know. I mean, but y'all, I was, I was, I was an Abe Troyer in the Old Order Amish. Like, I can't really speak about the dating practices in the Abe Troyer church. But what I can tell you is that, like, I believe two of the communities that I've lived in, they practice bed courtship. Bundling. <laughs> and there was no asking of the father. Like, it was, y'all, I'm sorry, you had to go ask the father, and then the ministry got to decide whether or not it was appropriate. And there were. Well, that's like absolutely horrifying. Was, horrifying. There, were, there were at least two times where ministry said no. But that's absolutely horrifying to an Amish like me. Like, like really. Wait, so are you saying y'all could just date whoever you wanted? Like, like, you would go to the singings on Sunday evening when you were the right age, either 16, 16 and a half, or 17 out of the communities that I lived in. And then the boy would send his friends to go ask this girl if he could take her home. And that was code for date. And inside of the different communities, they had different practices. Like I said, two of them, I believe, uh, you practice bed courtship. And that literally means they got in bed together. We would have died. And then they had a specific oh. time. Like the boy was supposed to be gone. They did it at the girl's house. And the boy was supposed to be gone by the time that they got up to do chores in the morning for sure. Overnight. <laughs> and then... Without a in, chaperone? The scandal. In other communities, they had special nightgowns made for those two. They would iron them too. I'm just saying, like you Not gotta you gotta be special for that. I can't. Um, 
seconding what Jess is saying, that's my dating experience as well. Even our letters were read by others. Where the fuck was your privacy? Mm. I'm sorry. Anyways, so in another community, they were allowed to sit at the kitchen table across from each other with an oil light on. And I'm not talking about the the bright oil light, light uh, like the bright lamps that we use, like the old fashioned um, Coleman lamps. I'm planning on making a TikTok about the lights because somebody asked. But regardless, um, we... That there was like this whole thing of like there was an oil lamp on, so it was dark, kind of like you know, a little bit more light than a candle. And and they had this, they were supposed to sit at the kitchen table across from each other. And that one, it was only until midnight. At midnight, the boy had to leave, so they were actually expected to talk to each other. That's so romantic, like that never would have happened, <laughs> Jess. Are you saying that if some woman just hit you up and was like, hey, let's go sit at the kitchen table with an oil light and a cup of tea, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> Anyways, and in the community that I actually went to the singings in, it was very much the same. Now, there were couples that did not have the oil light on, okay? Like, like they were, they were wild. Sitting in the dark. And it wasn't until midnight. Yeah, they would literally sit in the dark, you know, or they would sit side by side. Like people would confess in church to these sins, okay? They sat side by side instead of. I know what the confessions were like from the ones that slept in, the, that laid in the same bed in a, in a fancy nightgown. That's what I want to know what their confessions were like. What? Oh, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not, I, I didn't hear those confessions, but I did hear these confessions. <laughs> And then I dated somebody from a different community. We were supposed to get married. I dodged a bullet, y'all. But I digress. Anyways, in that community, the boy was supposed to sit on a big chair in the living room and the girl was supposed to go in and sit on his lap. I'm just saying, again, at midnight, but, you know, the pumpkin. <laughs> we're, we're like looking like Cinderella over here compared to these Mennonites and their exertional over our, like, and you, I, I'm just, I'm horrified by the lack of absolute, utter, like, where's your authenticity to even get to know somebody? I knew so many couples that really didn't even know each other and they'd been married for, you know, three, four years. And then like the other part was, is like, certainly like when I, when I was dating somebody, um, because like I shouldn't say no like that was a thing that I was raised with is like I shouldn't say no so I didn't feel like I could say no mm -hmm. but then like even if you started dating somebody that your family didn't approve of like if you started dating somebody period like it was news everybody talked about it mm -hmm. and if your family didn't approve they would let you know mm -hmm. they would have the conversations with you but it wasn't like the ministry got to tell us who the fuck to date like what the I think some people have wrong with the Mennonites. They have little dating rooms too. Like if your your house had like a den or something, like you would have they would have a special room in the house for for their kids that were of dating age to <laughs> to um to like you know sit in that room in like a sitting room or something. So they were allowed to be alone. 
Um, so in our community, in the community I was in, I just don't know much more than much beyond that. But people had to ask their, the, they, yeah, the, they did have to ask the, your father's permission mm -hmm. to date. Mm -hmm. No, just, just no. Yeah. So coming from that. I just thought everybody did that. I didn't know. <laughs> I did too. I, I assumed that was just normal. You know, you ask, people ask, typically will ask. Um, the father, if they could marry, if they could marry your daughter, their daughter. I just thought that was like a normal thing that people did. Yeah, that's I did too. normal. Well, um, your daughters are not your property. They are whole human beings. They have value. And they have authenticity and personhood. And you know what? Your daughters also have the right and the ability to make decisions for themselves. And I feel like I'm what I'm hearing, all of that was completely removed. And it was even more controlling than the environment that I was in. And I was older to Amish and you were like this liberal Mennonite, we would have said they were. We were just compared. And and just like really like we would have just the we just don't know again but then rebecca says long distance chaperone courtship for four and a half months then we got married and moved to africa six weeks later oh let's talk about the red flags of dating that is perfect what's a red flag in that statement Long distance for 4.5 months. Chaperoned and then got married. They That means they probably didn't see each other very often. Long distance chaperoned. Moving to for Africa. four and a half months. Like, is it not a red flag when you're dating somebody and immediately they want to... Um, what is that word? They're, they're like, it's like this quick courtship. Like they, they want to move on, like into the next phase of the relationship before the relationship really has built the, the foundations of what relation, what sustains the relationships. And then moving out of country, isn't that removing her from everybody that like she knows and yeah. her support group? I don't know. I'm just speculating, Rebecca, but thank you for that. So what are some red flags? Love bombing. Oh, yeah. That's What's love bombing? Red flag. Um, like, I think there's a wide um, variety of things that could be included in, in love bombing, but it's most, it's most um, typically... Um, associated with narcissists, but not just narcissists, love bomb. Uh, but basically when they come on really, really strong in the beginning without any basis, you know, like they're, you're amazing and wonderful and I'm in love with you after like a week when you don't have, you know, you haven't um, gotten a chance to know the person. So it's not coming. And a lot of times it's used in order to for the other person to feel an accelerated sense of the of where the relationship is and then they feel that they should be there it's it really makes the other person very confused 
Um, it it's, can be, it feels like gaslighting too. And then typically if it is love bombing, they can't keep, keep it up. So then, you, you know, like they're not consistent. They're not showing what they said they would, they were or whatever. They can't keep it up. Lori, are you saying that when, you know, there's this whole like, oh my God, I love you so much. But then their words and actions don't match. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Partially? Yep. I, I will vouch. That does kind of make me feel kind of crazy. It's like the first thing I look for. And it happens in more. I mean, we've talked about it happening a lot in conservative, you know, plain communities, too, where they love bomb new people coming in. Um, and I think the religious communities do it, too. Yeah, it did go with those accelerated relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like we were we were more vulnerable to it because we were so inexperienced. And the little experience we did have was with the chaperone, with a sibling watching us or like monitored by family. But what so we didn't people? really we didn't sorry. Oops. Are you frozen? I think she's frozen. Oh, she's back. She's back. Okay. Well, but Jess, what, what would you say to the people who say you're fleeing loose youthful bus and that's why we were so chaperoned? No, you're just behaving for whatever person's watching you. Boom. So is it really giving you the space and the ability to build a genuine connection and a foundation for a relationship? Mm -mm. No, and often... In my experience, anyway, it was siblings that would be your chaperone. And so, of course, you're not going to act up when you know your sibling's going to rat you out to your parents. Oh, goodness. Well, that you also, have to live with that. That sets <laughs> up, like, um, <clears throat> dynamics between siblings that aren't healthy either. But that's another topic. That's a whole other, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What if, what if, like, this is, like, the mission board's fault? Mm. Like, how how does that play into healthy, building healthy relationships? It doesn't. They just want soldiers. Yeah. For what purpose? So. World domination. More manpower. More people <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry. See... Like, we didn't have a mission board, like, because we didn't go out there and, like, you know, recruit people. We didn't, we didn't seek to change people's um, religious affiliation. That was not a thing for us. It wasn't our place to do so. If somebody came and they wanted to be Amish, we would, of course, tell them, like, oh, well, you have to learn language. You have to learn to read high German. So you'd have to learn two languages. And then you'd have to apply to appeal to the bishop and talk and blah, 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 blah. All these steps you would have to take. So it's very rare for somebody to join an Amish community unless they're adopted, etc. But we didn't feel like it was our place to tell anybody what their spiritual journey was unless you were born Amish. <laughs> then it is a gift. I'm just baffled at how far these mission boards will go to continue to recruit soldiers to have what, what you said, 
the world domination. But why? What makes them the right one? Themselves. They they made themselves the right one. <laughs> so when Rebecca says that that's why we were chaperoned, though, chaperoned, though, the assumption was terrible sin would happen without it. Is that true? I remember hearing a lot of your, your soul will be damned, you know, should you mess up, should you, I don't know, touch a boy, <laughs> you know, something small like that would send you to hell and like you would be forever changed. You wouldn't be the same person. Because what your hand touched a opposite gender hand? A moral <laughs> sin. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Jessica and Lori. What is healthy touch? We weren't taught that. We were just taught none. Don't do it. No touch. Nothing. Don't sit too close. Don't look at him the wrong way. There wasn't really any teaching about healthy, appropriate touch. Right. I think exactly. That's a huge problem. Hey, Jess, what's the wrong way? I want to know what this wrong way look looks like. What do I know about that? I never dated in the church. <laughs> I was not looking at boys the wrong way. I will say that. Well, I have to ask you a question, though. Were you looking at girls the wrong way? Yes. 100%. No shame, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So with that being said, can we talk about what are the pillars for a healthy relationship? Or is there like a foundation, things that people can learn to build healthy relationships? I think communication is one of the most important things. Um, and I feel that trust is more important than love because you can love someone that you don't trust, but if you don't trust them, it doesn't really matter how much you love them. To me, it's more important. And I think that's another really important point with the whole love bombing thing. If you haven't built a foundation of trust to where you both know each other well enough to trust each other. Right. It's you're just playing games. Because trust is built over time. You don't I mean, when I first meet someone, you know, I have the philosophy that until they prove that they're not trustworthy, they're trustworthy. But at the same time, there's a trust them, but not to full extent. Like you would trust someone that you've known longer. So mm -hmm. you, you don't distrust them, but you're like paying attention, you know, <laughs> to make sure that, um, you know, they're, um, oops, she has, they have pillars. We have pillars. Nice. I lost my train of thought. You're muted. You're talking, I can make it big, bigger. So that's what I was doing. But you're talking about like the pillars of, like if, if you look up at different types, there's all kinds of them. There's six, there's seven, there's 10. But basically the pillars of a healthy relationship, like it starts with communication, right? Mm 
according to um, Madison Fredericks, who is a licensed professional counselor in Chicago. She wrote this article, what was it, in 2019. It's one of my favorites because it really defines when you talk about communication, um, open and honest communication. And I just wondered what y'all would think about communication, humility, trust, <laughs> empathy, and respect. Those are all, I hadn't really thought of um, humility, but if someone, you know, when you, if you mess up and you're humble enough to say like, hey, I messed up or that I made a mistake or I will do better, like you do need to have that. Um, and I, and definitely I agree with the rest of them. Mutual respect. I wouldn't want to be with someone who couldn't, who didn't have any empathy. Right. And so like the, the reason I brought this up is because we talk about, people talk a lot about like relationships, blah, 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 all of the healthy things, all of the, the bad things. But a lot of times there is a discrepancy between what we were conditioned to believe in dating and what we experience when we enter the dating world, right? So how do you navigate that? Like coming from a place where there's no privacy, there's no ability to explore and build these foundation, uh, these pillars. There's no, you, you have nothing to build the relationship on because everything is, how did you word it, Jess? You were performing for the person who is chaperoning you. Yeah. So like to me, I didn't have that barrier, but to you, y'all did. So how do you navigate that? It was really scary. Like the first time that I actually started dating, once I had left, like I, you guys know, like I, I literally left the community and I just jumped straight into a relationship and I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was scared. Like the first time I actually talked to somebody and they started flirting, I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how to behave or what to do or what the appropriate reaction was. But I was so scared because like I was by myself. I didn't have anybody watching me. Mm -hmm. You know, my siblings were hundreds of miles away and I'm just sitting here like, oh. Wait, what? <laughs> what do I do? It, it was crazy. It was what really about, something I had to navigate. With intention too, like mm -hmm. figure out like what 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 do I do? Mm -hmm. How do I get through this? Do you yeah. want to talk? Like, do you want to talk about that too, Lori? Did you uh, experience any of that kind of sort of or no? Not that specifically, but for me, it was more like um, I had all these preconceived um, notions about men based on the programming mm -hmm. um, that, you know, all they wanted was sex. And then I had to, I was like the gatekeeper of sex. So not only that, but like we were just told don't have sex, don't have sex. So um, that I can relate to. Yeah. And, you know, the purity culture stuff that we've talked about in some previous um live cast, uh, uh, live streams that, um, you know, 
it was just basically a line in the sand, right? And so you could do anything right up to the line. And um, I won't go into detail, but that really messed me up in a lot of ways. Plus, I had no idea how to look for healthy signs. You know, I had nothing. So basically, if a guy paid me attention, I was like, hey. And um, it wasn't, I was, it was bad. I was not set up for any type of success. No one ever talked about what healthy relationships. I had to figure it all out on my own. That sounds like a journey. Just, just a smidge. Just like, like just a smidge. So like I can relate to the whole, like, you know, you were, you were the gatekeeper for men, right? Like you're, you're objectified and sexualized to the point that it is your responsibility to gatekeep for men. But by the time that I exited the culture, I did in fact have like an extensive amount of EMDR therapy. And I often talk about this because I feel like it's part of what allowed me to begin living my life in, in a way that made sense to me is because of that. And so maybe my experience is a little different because I, I didn't necessarily, I guess I, I ended up being like, kind of like to purity culture, like just, just F off purity culture. I'm, I'm not about that. And part of what I, processed in EMDR was partially the in inherent amount of purity culture BS that I had been conditioned to believe in and brainwashed to believe in. So maybe that made a big difference. I don't know. But I do know that that I didn't have that whole like, oh, it's going to be the end of the world if I end up having consensual sex with somebody. I didn't even back then I didn't have that. But what did I have? I still held on to the internal homophobia and I thought I was going to hell if I didn't date men. Yeah. And I held on to that for a, that was the longest and the most difficult to navigate. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that, that one, that one's a beast. That one is a beast. The internalized hatred and self-loathing of yourself mm -hmm. and everything about you that you have no control over and nobody deserves that. But I did eventually come out of that yeah, and, and find a way forward and through it. So I would like to say that I think once I did that, I was able to start looking at relationships in a much different manner than what I had been looking at relationships prior to. Yeah. And I felt like I was able to show up to relationships with more authenticity and honesty and openness and directness, but also, you know, I'm a, I'm a little direct. And to some people, they feel that directness is an attack. But when you start talking about open communication in relationships, if you're constantly dancing around a topic with your partner without coming out and saying what you actually mean, 
I feel like that's a red flag. Like, why do you have to dance around this topic? Mm -hmm. Why are you dancing around this topic? Is it your partner or is it you? Like, is this trauma you have to dismantle? Or is it your partner is subconsciously just not compatible with you? Am I wrong in thinking that? No, and I think also finding a partner that's safe and that sees you is another part of it because I have had multiple times where there were certain topics that I just knew I couldn't talk about because they weren't a safe person to talk about it with. And I think that's another thing where when you're getting to know somebody, like establishing that, finding out how they feel about things before you jump in and just start swimming, like it's, you have to have that foundation first. And we weren't taught to um, assess for whether someone's a safe person. Mm -mm. We were only taught to like assess for certain traits that the church deemed as appropriate. And I still struggle with healthy communication in a relationship because I didn't witness it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We didn't really have anybody to learn from like, right. We didn't have the role first models. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to, talk crap about my parents, but um, I certainly wit witnessed, you, you know, a lot more unhealthy communication than healthy. And so I didn't have that, you know, healthy role model of parents either, which I'm sure you, you guys can relate to. Lori, I have no idea what you're talking about. Not me over here gaslighting you. <laughs> I'm not even get, gonna get started because I'm spicy today, and mm -mm. <laughs> I'm so spicy today, y'all. Like it's like my coffee has spice in it today. I need more I'm coffee. Just no, <laughs> really, surely you just. Our parents were my parents were good Amish people. There's no way that watching my parents physically hit each other could be, you know, unhealthy, right? They were good Amish. <laughs> oh wait, that was my stepfather. But I digress. I'm not going there. Regardless, I'm sure there was so much open and healthy communication modeled. Communication? <laughs> the bad C word? What? This is a bad C word. So what do we look for when we want to see healthy communication? What is healthy? What is an example of healthy communication? Stating your needs and desires and um, confronting things that, you know, say your partner lets you down in some way, but, it, but letting them know in a way that's not accusatory, but just like, hey, da 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 da. Yeah, that's a great one. That part, um, that part Rebecca. Yes. How to fight. Fighting was just taboo. Submission was the only option. That's right. That's why you never watch, have like, you watch like people cover it up. You watch people with coercive control, physical control, and other like it was so awful to grow up watching that. And so I've you you literally cannot build a healthy relationship on the idea of submission. Submission at all costs is 
is a horrible, horrible value to hold, to have relationships, to build relationships on. It is not healthy. It takes away your literal right to safety as a person. And furthermore, conflict, conflict in and of itself is not inherently unhealthy. It's how people handle it that is unhealthy. So if I say to somebody, hey, I notice you're having a problem with blah, 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 blah. What's going on? And the person takes that as like, oh, well, I'm struggling with this and this and this. That is a healthy conflict. Let's come up with a solution. But if I say to somebody, hey, I notice you're struggling with this. And they turn around and they say, you're a terrible person. How dare you? Blah, 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 blah. Like, go off on me. Or they, that that's not healthy. In my opinion. Anyways, I got totally sidetracked by that comment. Why you be doing this to me? Talking about submission and fighting. She's so on point, though. But yeah, it's so true because it My also name. highlights the fact, you know, like we grew up in a very patriarchal, male-dominated society, and then women are, and then very authoritarian. So even though I wasn't married in the church, um, I can't tell you how many times I would ask just a question because I'm how I learn is by asking questions and. Like, I'm not question, I'm not questioning your authority. I'm just asking if I understand why I have to do something nine times out of 10, I'm more willing to do it. But my dad saw that as me um, challenging his authority. So, you know, I can't tell you how many times I heard because I said so. And that's not like, this isn't helpful. Um, so then that can translate into marriage or into relationships. Thankfully, I don't like, really struggle with that that I'm aware of, but you can see how it, you would be even more likely to be, end up in an abusive relationship because you just ha you were taught to take it and not to challenge it or say anything back. Or even if it's not abusive, but just like where you don't know how to speak up for yourself or advocate for yourself or um, challenge what your partner is doing or anything like that because you're so programmed to be submissive. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, doesn't that kind of teaching also teach you to paint some red flags as green? This is, isn't this why people literally sit there and they romanticize this idea that, oh, somebody's stalking you, really? Exactly. He just really is romantic. Oh, that's so romantic. He really, really likes me. Oh. oh. He's really mean to me. That means he likes me. Yep. Like, that's, that's not, that's not a good thing. If somebody you're dating literally starts stalking you, there's a problem there. That is a giant red flag. And you need to have the tools to remove yourself from that situation 
but we're not given those tools. We're taught to red, uh, to paint them green. We're just given a bucket of green paint. It's like, we're just out there painting green. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that puts us in a really dangerous situation. Once we do get out, once we do start dating, because we're so used to just taking it, you know, we don't like something. We feel like something's wrong or unsafe. We just take it and we internalize it because that's right. what a good woman does. Well, it's our responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it puts us in a really dangerous position because then we're not thinking about what the partner's saying. We're not thinking about, you know, maybe they're not a safe person. Maybe I shouldn't be with this person. We're just taking it all. Yeah. To the point where some people, I have friends that have gotten in really dangerous situations. They moved with their husbands to somewhere really isolated and, it, that's so dangerous. And they have no bodily autonomy to be able to say, no, this is where I draw the line. I'm stepping away because they can't. What about the whole idea that forgiveness is absolute? Like, I don't know how Mennonites practice forgiveness, but it's like, oh, he hit me, but he, he only did it once and he's sorry. What about that? Or somebody hit me, right? Like, what yeah. about that? How does forgiveness tie in with that? The uh, Mennonite idea of forgiveness, that is. You forgive and forget. I, I remember um, the first time that I learned that forgive didn't mean forget. Because I was like, um, well, I can't. And like whether forgiveness is even necessary is not what I'm even discussing, but like, um, you know, we're, we were told to forgive and forget. And that meant again, like you said before, we don't talk about it. Um, and that what I think that was similar in, in our communities in mine anyway. What about you? I remember, I don't, I don't know if it was taught. I don't remember it being taught in the church, but my family in particular, would always talk about the Bible verse where Jesus said, you should forgive somebody 70 times seven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you should just, to me, that was just an infinite number, which means you should just always keep forgiving someone regardless of if they just keep repeating the same thing. Um, it's what we were told to do. Yeah. Yeah. You just so keep forgiving I, and keep taking it. How does that affect your ability to make, um, safe decisions for you in dating scenarios? Well, I have to accept whatever is and forgive and keep going and, and don't report it or don't, mm -hmm. um, you know, tell anyone type of thing. Yeah. So then if you're just accepting it, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're like, literally sitting there and if you get in a dating relationship even not even not even married to the person if that person is hitting you do you have the tools and resources that you need to exit that relationship no and i can say personally it put me in a really unsafe position physically because i didn't know enough back then to be able to stand up and say, no, this isn't okay. I just kept forgiving to the point where I was in a situation where I wasn't physically safe. Yeah. Did you 
do you feel comfortable like talking about how you were able to exit that relationship? It wasn't great. It was really hard and it took a lot of work on my part because I wasn't prepared to even know how to function by myself. So I left the community. I jumped straight into this relationship and I didn't I didn't even have the time or the capacity to do the work to figure out what a safe relationship looked like. And once I was in it and there was a lot of anger and a lot of outbursts and things like that, which I was so used to seeing that it didn't even phase me. Um, yeah, it finally got to a point where I was like, I'm not safe. I've never seen this kind of behavior. It just escalated to the point where I was like, I'm done. I just, I emotionally disconnected. I got my stuff and I got out. Um, but yeah. It wasn't great. It was, it was really hard. And I didn't have any tools because nobody had ever given me the tools or the teaching or anything to know what to do. Or to even know that you can leave before it gets that bad. If you yeah. see a red flag, you can leave. Well, and you probably it, didn't realize it was a red flag or unhealthy. Cause like you said, that no. was normal yep. for you and you weren't, you know, you weren't shown anything different. So how would you know? And I just assumed, well, this is, this is just how men behave. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a, we're expecting and uh, we're expecting violence from people, specifically men. Would you say that's because you were conditioned to think that all men are going to be violent? in some ways more or less yes i mean i was pretty much taught that if they are it's because i did something i shouldn't have done <laughs> you know i behaved the way i shouldn't have behaved and that's what brought it on if i would have just been quiet he wouldn't have gotten angry kind of thing you know victim blaming yeah yeah it's very victim blaming that's ugh, nobody deserves that but i'm glad you got out so then now, like, what do we look for? And we talk about some of the red flags. We've talked about some of that. But what do we look for that helps us feel safer in connecting with a person? Actually, for me, it's consistency. Like, you mm -hmm. do what you say you're going to do and you show up and you say you're going to. That goes a long way for me in building trust and letting me know that you're going to be there. And, you know, when, um, if I, one of the things I like to do in the beginning when I'm first dating someone is to like say no to something or put them, put, put them, put us in situations where I can, I just say testing the relationship, but I think you should test a relationship to like see how they respond that will let me know if there's a safe person, like if, you know, if how, how do they handle something unexpected or it not going the way that they wanted it to, or something like that. If I ask for something like maybe I need time to myself, how do they respond to that? Cause those are all very telling. I also tell people and teach my clients, like 
doing this in all relationships when you're testing for safety is like you don't tell your whole like trauma dumping but you like tell something like that's not as close to the cuff so to speak and you see how the person responds because how somebody responds to your truth or something that you're sharing with them gives you a lot of information that's very true and i would agree I think it's important to also listen to your intuition. You know, that gut feeling that we were taught is wrong. No, your gut feeling is usually indicative of something that you may not subconsciously realize. I realized that I don't know how to do that because mm -hmm. I was not taught how to do that. In fact, we were taught to ignore ways and disconnect from our bodies so that's something that i work on and i work on teaching my clients that too like how do you trust yourself and the your i liked um glennon doyle's book um i forget the name of it her most recent book but she talks about how we're the cages that society puts us in but in the, I think it's in that book where she talks about learning to hear her sit with herself and listen to what her, you know, she's telling herself, her body or and something inside her. And I think we so often learn to dissociate from our bodies. And I so. think another thing is learning how to just sit with ourselves and being okay being by yourself we weren't taught that we were really taught that we have to have somebody else to be valid you know right. you have to have a partner you have to have someone else you can't just be out here by yourself and i think learning to be okay with that and feeling complete and whole by myself is a huge thing exactly exactly i couldn't i couldn't agree more just and, and Lori, like both of you have very valid contributions to this conversation um, I, I think we've got a couple of more comments, by the way, Josh is talking about as an adopted kid, thinking I was even good enough to imagine asking one of the girls out was unthinkable. So there was that from one of the weird guys, you know, I like weird people. I'm a misfit. I've always been a misfit everywhere I go. That's why I made the organization, The Misfit Amish. It is a collective group of people who are all somewhat misfits in one way or another. Because you know what? Sometimes we actually need places and spaces where we can feel like our truths are honored and that we are able to share what we want to and what we need to. Which if y'all don't know, Josh just published a novel He's on, um, it's on Amazon. It's called A Tale of Four Strangers. Mm. And then Marlene says, I was told that Jesus commanded that I forgave my, I forgive my rapist. Yeah, of course. And that because I still had trauma, that meant I didn't really, yes. I really didn't forgive him. And I think when you carry that kind of teaching into your relationship, it's this whole idea of like, first off, you're not even just battling whatever is going on in, in your relationship today. You're actually having things come up that you have been conditioned to believe that actively come up 
without you wanting it to come up. Because oftentimes what people don't realize is that this about trauma, this thing of stuffing it down, denial, running away from it, just pretending it didn't happen. If you have trauma, that trauma will manifest itself in one way or another if you have not processed that trauma. And sometimes some things are so horrific that it is repetitive. That is why there is such a thing as chronic PTSD, complex and chronic PTSD. I'm not a therapist, but correct me if I'm wrong. That basically is the result of layers and layers and layers of trauma. And especially when there's childhood trauma, it can cause, it may cause, neurobiological changes in the brain. It is not somebody choosing to not forgive their rapist. It is not somebody choosing to not forgive. Just because somebody has emotions, I mean, I would even venture to say that for me, the more I processed what had happened to me, and what was done to me, the better I was able to connect with my body, with my emotions, the better I was able to have language to describe the emotions that I'm having. There are still times where I'm speechless, but it doesn't mean that you don't have emotions just because you've processed your trauma. Some of us have experienced things in life that nobody should ever experience. Many of us have, really. But when we pretend we are completely healed from those things, what happens? What happens? We're denying part of ourselves, first of all. Yeah. Because we're saying it didn't happen anymore, or it's as if it didn't happen anymore. And is that really possible? Not at all. We start to gaslight ourselves when we do that and then start to kind of lie to ourselves. You know, you're fine. This isn't a problem. This never happened. Like it, it's just, for me, it goes down into a really dark place really fast. Oh, for me too. Like if I start pretending like that didn't happen, I, I spiral. I literally yeah. spiral. I call it the spiral of doom. And it takes a lot of work to come back from that. But regardless, I think that for me, my journey has been to openly say, yes, these things happen. Yes, I have emotions about them. It is normal to have emotions about injustices and vile, harmful acts and crimes that were committed against you. And when you go into a relationship and you haven't processed that trauma, what do you do? I know for myself, I gaslit myself and then I let my partner do the same thing. Ooh, that doesn't sound fun, Jess. Yeah, <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Would not recommend. Do not recommend? 
This is not a, a preferred method of managing no. dating after trauma. No, because then once you get out of that relationship, it's all still there yeah. and it's somehow worse. Oh God, that sounds terrible. You got anything to say, Lori? You're the counselor here. <laughs> we're we're going to call on Lori now that I've made my whole like rant about it. Uh, well, if you, if your trauma is unhealed, then, and you're, I mean, I don't even really like to say unhealed, but if, because it's a journey, not a destination. And I always, I will stand by that. But if you haven't had any healing or any work through your stuff and realize what it is and all of that, then a lot of, you can be re it sets you up for being re-traumatized because you don't know to look for those signs. I mean, some people don't even recognize that what happened to them was X, Y, Z. You know, they've never labeled it as abuse. They never understood it as abuse. So then mm -hmm. what that's going to keep perpetuating abusive relationships. Um, but it also is going to, it's not going, they can't fully trust if they haven't worked through their stuff either so that can cause more problems. And I mean, that I'm sure there are more that I'm not thinking of. Right are, they, are they able to communicate openly and, and have their needs met within a relationship? Probably not. Most likely not. Because and they may why? Because what? Because why? I mean, it seems to me that if you have like, experience a lot of trauma and you haven't processed the trauma. I don't typically talk about trauma as like healing because Same, yeah. I feel like healing is such a dirty word. Okay. But what? then when you talk about it, like for me, I feel more comfortable calling it like living with trauma, life post-trauma or like after you, you process your trauma, you know, or you, you dismantle some of the things that you were taught and conditioned to believe. So if you were taught and conditioned to believe that your voice is a terrible thing and any need that you have is terrible. And, you know, some people, they experience physical violence anytime they voice a need. So if they have a relationship with that kind of um, unprocessed trauma, I'm not going to say this happens to everybody, but for some people, I do believe that they bring that with them, whether they, they consciously recognize it or not. They bring that with them. And when they bring that with them, it's again, like it's nothing against those people, but it's again indicative of like, there needs to be places for them to actually feel safe so they can process that. So they can figure out how to navigate their life in a meaningful way after experiencing all of that. Yeah. Oh. Billy's here just in time for the ending of the show, Billy. <laughs> another thing, y'all, I got a lot to say about dating. But another thing I want to talk about real quick before we go, we're, we're probably going to go over because I'm, I'm this, I'm really chatty and spicy today. But when, when you have unprocessed trauma and all of these things and you exit out of real, uh, conservative community like that do you have the ability and the skills to recognize when there is a power differential and you probably shouldn't date somebody because there is a power differential no because you weren't you if you came from a conservative 
playing that was you didn't even know what that was and mm -hmm. a lot of lay people probably still don't know what that is you know even if they weren't in that experience you know what i mean because like yeah describe describe what you what what we mean like my power different, different. Um, power like that's one reason in the therapy world like we're not allowed to date our clients because there is a very clear power difference I know things by virtue of my position um, in your life that would could cause you harm. Mm -hmm. And we're not even really allowed to be friends for the same reason. There is a power differential. So if you're a therapist, don't date your clients. And if you're a client of a therapist, don't date your therapist. Uh, if <laughs> and if your therapist does that, peace out. You'd be like, bye, Felicia. Bye-bye, baby. Bye-bye-bye. Well, them to the board of, of counseling, first of all, because that's... Oh, yes, that too. Please do that. <laughs> and it happens more than you would think, actually. You might be shocked to know how often it happens. Yeah, yeah. I hear There's it all the time. reason I brought this up. Another thing is, so if I were to go, I'm, I'm just going to use myself as an example, okay? If I were to be contacted by somebody from my previous community who just recently exited. Like I grew up with this person hypothetically, or I knew this person when I was in the community, right? And they just recently exited. Would it be a power differential for me to date that person as somebody who is what I am in the world? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tell me why. You have so many more tools and so much more knowledge and so much more experience. And this person is literally a baby. Uh-huh. No. So <laughs> no. I've been trying to explain this to people is that, you know, one, I would not date somebody from the community because mm -hmm. I feel like, like if they've just exited the community, I would not date somebody because I feel like I have had access to so many more things. I have so much more information. I have so many more resources. I have all of these things. Plus, like I'm kind of a little bit publicly out there a little bit. Just and a little. even that can create a power differential. Mm -hmm. But I'm also a, a master life and I'm, a, yeah. and I'm a certified professional medical auditor and coder and all of those things. Like I have a lot of just vastly different knowledge of the world yeah. than this person hypothetically who just exited the community has. Not only that, but you could fall into a caregiver role easily mm -hmm. because um, you know so many things, so then it would it could end up being the relationship could end up being um, that dynamic as well, which is also a power differential because you're you're like an expert, um, and so you could without wanting just because you know you might care about your partner and want to help them or whatever. Um, no, it just would not be good. Yeah, yeah, and that person's vulnerable. Like they need. They need I, to get on their own feet. I feel like if somebody exits a community and they contact me, it is my job to support them, have conversations with them as I can, 
and also to connect them with the right resources for them mm-hmm. with consent. But I also feel like it would be me taking advantage of vulnerable people and exploiting them. Yep. Um, I also wanted to add something to like when we were talking about therapy. Um, imagine that you have an individual who was in an, in a, an environment similar to the ones we grew up in, and then they finally get to a point of seeing a therapist, and the therapist um, crosses boundaries that are inappropriate, and that person what it re-traumatizes them because for obviously for a lot of reasons, but ones they don't even know that. Like if I, if that happened to me now, I would know better, but they wouldn't know better. So it would be even more damaging to them and they're more at risk to being re-traumatized. Yep. It would be, that's, that's part of what I mean when I talk about the layers of trauma. Like some people really do have layers of trauma. They have chronic and complex PTSD and they're undiagnosed. They don't even know that it's real, you know, because they don't have access to the same type of information and support that people like me have had. It's something I have noticed about us when like plain people in general, it seems like when we leave, we tend to attract people that see that and they know that we're more vulnerable and they're attracted to that. And I think that's also really dangerous. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about the fetishizing of plain women. Ugh. You ever, you ever encountered that? So I had a partner that literally wanted me to wear my plain clothes for certain activities. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. What? (laughs) (laughs) Jess? I'm not even joking. Like, this is a thing. Jess. Yeah. Well, do you feel like an object yet? Did you feel like an object? Disgusting. Absolutely. Just, I was so beyond horrified. Why do people fetishize plain women? And for the record, to be plain doesn't mean that you're Amish. Mm-mm. It just means you're plain. There's a difference. Thank you. Well, there's a there is like a subset of people that are, especially men, that are attracted to like the idea of someone being pure and untouched. And then if like if in them sure that they would assume that right, make that assumption. And then also. Um, like if they know that plain women tend to be more submissive, like there, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not not healthy. You're, you surely you just <laughs> I joke. I'm such a joke. <laughs> it was here to be funny. You got jokes. Look, I, I have to laugh, okay? Because otherwise I'm gonna cry. But I have to laugh because surely this was ordained, okay? By God. And it's pure and holy, and you should just accept your role. It was preordained before you were even conceived. That and is- so if that results in, in men objectifying you and, and 
committing violent, heinous acts against you, it's your fault. That's right. Sounds logical, right? So logical. I must have dressed inappropriately somehow. <laughs> That's what I was taught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, look what Marlene's got to say. I was cleaning my parents' house and they had some of these Amish women romance novels. I said, I have a special place for these books. You know, they will be thrown out. Thank you, Marlene. I appreciate you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> books like that work as great kindling. So. Mm -hmm. They really do. Light it up. But that's part of it. I believe that is part of it. Yeah. Because think about it. They read these romance novels and they always have these Amish women. How how big is that Amish romance novel industry? Is it it's it's insane. Huge. It's so disgusting. That's sick. That's like certain who seek out black women because they think they're hypersexual. Do not mm -hmm. fetishize me. Thank you. And that's it, it's that do not fetishize us. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. fetishize us. We are whole valid human beings. Now that's mm -hmm. good. Goodbye to books like that. They perpetuate these perverse sexualizations. Yes, you got the point. You got the assignment. And on that note, do y'all have any parting words? Because I'm gonna end this. I think I've said enough. <laughs> yeah. Really, Lori? That's your story. I feel like I've been the one who's been like ranting and raving over mm -hmm. here and y'all are just like such wonderful guests and I'm just over here being like extra. What it's, about you, Jess? I need more coffee if I'm going to say more because I have a lot to say. Oh, do I sense a part two coming up? <laughs> I think that, that way Jess can have more coffee. We need just to say all the things on her heart. So part two, it is. There's just, there's so much to say about this. Like there's so many layers. And then once you leave, there's so many layers. Like there's so much to it. So part two, got it. So if somebody is exiting a community like that and they're, they happen to listen to this, what would you say to them? If the person that you're looking at dating or have already started dating feels like going back into the community or going underwater and giving up who you are, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, I would recommend um, getting your own therapist or even a life coach, um, but just somebody that could help you navigate the things that you're not, you don't know how to navigate because you weren't taught. I wish I had sought it out earlier. You know, thank you. Those are really valid points. I personally would say if you're listening to this and you resonated with any of this, please, please, please continue exploring. Be curious. Learn and know more about what healthy relationships should look like and could be like for you. Because it's not that you're incapable of having healthy relationships. It's more or less you're, you're going to have to go on a journey to be curious and learn new information to figure out what are red flags and how do you navigate your new life in a way that 
not just allows you to have connections, but allows you to have meaningful and safe connections with people in all areas and aspects of your life. With that being said, thanks for listening. Thank you to our Patreons, um, subscribers, and for all of you for being here, commenting, talking. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Jess. Hope you all have a beautiful Sunday. Mm -hmm.